tough, man. This is two years in a row. Two years in a row that it's just like, cool. Thanks for sucking. See you next year. Well, you're a Lions fan. you got to be used to this. That's, I know, but it's, that's, that's, if you it's know double as bad going, for I'm him. leaning towards that. Yeah, I'm saying it's double Lion, as bad Lions for hurt harder for me than State hurts me. Trust me, Lions hurt more. There was legitimately a moment Monday night, like closing him at midnight. I'm just getting ready for bed, looking in the mirror, going, why do you do this to yourself? You don't have to watch this team. You don't fuck on it, though. You could wash dishes or something. Like, anything would have been better. Instead, I just angrily went to bed. The stats. Was that a double chocolate Milano cookie that we had there? No, it was something far sweeter. The salt. I forgot everything I was supposed to say because I'm just envisioning Russ laying back in the bed shirtless smoking a cigar or something. The sanity. I hate you, but yes, there are there is logic to what you just said. And every so often, they talk about sports, too. Here is Eric Dorsch, Russ Ivanek, and Justin Marcus. This is Armchair Sports Talk. Standing in line to see the show All right, guys. Well, I'm going to start it off with some breaking news today. I don't know if you know this. Uh, Stevie Wonder was just given a job as a ref in the NFL because uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently he can do the same thing as all the other ones. Um, if you're not a Detroit, Stevie Wonder is yeah. a wonderful man, and he is overqualified. He's absolutely overqualified. If you're not a uh, if you're not a Detroit sports fan, one, I question why you're listening to this show because that's all we talk about. But two, I'm sorry because it's been a rough week, and we're going to get to it. We are. We've got U of M to talk about. Wasn't fun. We got a win, but it wasn't fun. We got MSU to talk about. I'm sorry, Justin. Uh, we've got Detroit Lions to talk about. Uh, we've got Red Wings to talk about. None of them good. None of them good. None of them enjoyable. And uh, it's going to be a rough show for us. But I decided let's start off the show happy. Let's start off talking about starting the show talking about success. So all week I've been teasing this little game for you guys. We're going to lead off the show with it just so we can do something fun and be positive before I crush all of our souls talking about sports so don't give me that hope so you're saying we're going to start off 13 to nothing that's that's what we're going to do that's yeah that's the hope i'm giving you the hope i'm giving okay. you um how we're going to start off this show is it's it's kind of a best of and you know it, it's something i i came up with the concept a while back but i could never figure out how i wanted to do it and how i want to do it is in the history of sports, and it's a very long history, we, we all have players we, we love to watch, we, we idolized, and all this and that. And then there's these records, these records that these guys amassed over their careers that to the you know, to anyone you'd believe will never be touched, will never be broken. Well, I want to go through a couple that I think are the biggest of them all, and I want to see if we can find one that we think in our lifetime we will see somebody surpass. Okay. To preface this, Jay, you can't just say Wayne Gretzky is going to be at the top for the rest of his life. Okay, we we we're going to go through them all, and I, I I expect you to be thorough. All right. I'll fight you on that point. You can fight me all you want. You can fight me all you want. That's fine. <laughs> I have a stat man doing this with me, and I'm still willing to 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 argue with you guys. So we're gonna have some fun here. For, first one, and this is one I think we we 
we came damn near close to seeing broken a couple years ago. And that's Eric Dickerson's single-season record of 2,100 rushing yards. Closest ever was AP. He came about like 10 yards short of doing it. So with the league switching to a rushing type of offense, do you guys ever think that a 2,100-yard season will be touched again? Who's going first on this one? You, you take the lead. Whoever buddy. wants to go. We're not in the same uh, room, so they, they, get, they, get, <laughs> yeah. they get nervous to speak sometimes. But I, I want to know, will, yeah. will we ever see one? I'm staring at the void waiting for it to give me my cue. <laughs> um, no, I don't think we do because I think the opportunity for it to happen isn't going to be there. Um, we might come to a point where rushing yards per carry spike right to the levels that might make it, but the devaluation of starting running backs, of workhorse running backs, isn't going to let it happen. I mean, you might have to have a guy average 10 yards per carry to, to even get close with the amount of carries. Like, Look at some of the teams in the league right now. Look at San Francisco. Who's going to get more than 10 carries in a, in a game? Who knows? But the team's undefeated right now. Mm-hmm. The Patriots have been doing it for years. So will we see a talent that could do it? Yeah, sure. I don't know that the league's ever going to get to a point again where they're given the opportunity. Okay. Jay, do you agree? Yeah, no, it, it won't happen because kind of like what uh, Russ was saying with San Francisco – you have a lot of teams that are moving towards a committee approach in the backfield. Like even Delvin cook, he's running his ass off this year, but Matheson's right behind him still getting like six to 10 carries a game. They, they don't want to rely heavy on just one guy and they, the ball gets spread around too much. I don't think that's ever going to get touched unless, you know, we become less of a passing league and go back to the ground game, which that's not going to do anything for anyone. So I think that's going to hold tight. Okay. Uh, these next two are career records. I'm going to give you a couple records. I want you guys to pick from them as you will. Staying with running, Emmett Smith holds quite a few rushing records in this league because he played for 30 years and refused to retire when he should have. Uh, he's got most rushing yards, 18,335. He's got the most rushing touchdowns, 164. And he's got the most rushing attempts with 4,409. Frank Gore is the next closest guy still playing. <laughs> Uh, Frank Gore's 3,000 yards behind him rushing, and he's almost 1,000 carries behind him in the rushing attempts. AP is the next closest with 107 rushing touchdowns. So none of these guys are distinctly close. But what I'm asking you is, with this league changing to a pass-happy offense, Jay, do you think any of those three records will ever be touched in the history or in our lifetime? I don't know. Frank Gore is only thirty six, even though he, to me, he feels like he's a hundred. Do you think maybe he has three thousand more yards in him, though? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know about yardage, no, but maybe attempts. I mean, or carries rather. I, I don't know. He's only thirty six. He just seems like a stubborn ass. He's going to stick around for at least another three seasons, four seasons, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Probably not. I mean, that's a safe bet. But if anyone's going to do it, it'd be Father Time Frank Gore. Okay, Russ. <laughs> I'm going to say no for a lot of the same reasons that I quoted for the last one, that they're just not going to get the opportunity. I mean, look at the last 10, the the top 10 as far as rushing yards per season, right? The, the best of the, the, of the best. One of them has been since 2009. Mm-hmm. You know, two of them since 2003. Like, that that's it. We're not getting them. Most of them are off in the 90s and the heydays of, the single workload running back. So 
we're seeing guys retire earlier, so especially at the running back position. We're seeing running backs get cut and not getting that third contract. Um, what happened to Jamal Charles? Right, and guys are getting yeah. hurt. It's no, I, I don't think they're going to get as many opportunities or have as long of careers. So we talk about these career records. They're dinosaurs roaming the prairie. It, it's it's not going to be something that we see again. Okay. Now, Russ, staying with you, because like I said, we had two careers. I, I think we can't talk about football and records if we don't talk about the greatest receiver ever. And this guy's got a laundry list of records. He's like Gretzky. No one's close. Uh, oh, Jerry okay. Rice. Jerry Rice. Yep. 1,549 career receptions. Fitzgerald's the next closest active player with 1,300. Julio Jones is the ne- uh, is the next active closest guy with 720. Julio Jones has been in the league now for eight years. Uh, receiving yards, he's got 22, almost 23,000 yards. Again, Fitzgerald is the next closest with 16,000. Uh, reception, receiving touchdowns, he's got almost 200. Jimmy Graham is the next closest with 73. Uh, all-purpose yards, he's got 23,000. This one is the one I think we could see broken because the next closest guy is only 3,000, like three and almost 4,000 yards behind him, and that's Darren Sproles. And that guy gets gets the ball quite often. So <laughs> I would have gotten that one wrong. Would you really? It surprised me, too. It really <laughs> did. Darren Sproles is actually the next closest with 19,684 yards. So he's just just shy of four thousand yards behind him. Again, he's yeah, been in the league man. now for fourteen years, though. So he's a utility mm-hmm. guy; doesn't see as much workload. Russ, of all these, with the league switching to a more spread out, pass happy kind of offense, where you need to have two or three good receivers to be competitive. Obviously, Jerry set a bar higher than anyone would ever expect, and Larry Fitzgerald's probably not going to get there. Is there someone in this league when you hear the fact that the next closest is almost? halfway there and he's already played in the league for eight years now jerry rice played for a long time jerry rice played almost 16 seasons do you see any of this happening do you see anyone catching jerry rice in any of the receiving records he holds i'm i'm struggling to come up with one that i'm confident on doing that's in the league right now um like a guy like julio comes to mind but is his health gonna stay up Uh, but just generally speaking yeah i think all of those records will someday be broken. Okay. Kind of like I talked about the rushing yards, how only one of the top ten seasons have come from the last like eight years here. Uh, two of the top five receiving seasons have come from the last you know, five years, with uh, Julio and Antonio Brown both breaking 1,800 yards. As we, as we throw more, as it becomes more up-tempo, as it becomes harder and harder for defense to play defense, Six six touchdowns, right? Like that's that's what gets the ratings, and that's what the league is going to keep moving towards. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think we'll get it, and it'll just take a couple guys to decide. If, hey, this game isn't as tough on my body as and as physical. I can play till I'm forty. Yeah, now, there won't be a lot of them, but some. The one thing I wanted to give you because I think this one, because I, I would say of all of them, maybe the receiving touchdowns because you have these. You know these and these red zone receivers who they can throw it up and they can go get it. Mm-hmm. Jerry Rice did great, 197. Obviously, a lot of his were also in open field where he made people miss. The next closest guy is 30. Or I'm sorry, is 40 touchdowns behind him, and that's Randy Moss, arguably the greatest goal or red zone wide receiver of all time. Mister, go up and get it kind of guy. So when you see that, you just think it has to be a pretty rare breed. 
that's going to score that often to do it. Oh, so. absolutely. I mean, look look at the top two seasons as far as receiving touchdowns. It's Randy Moss and then Randy Moss, <laughs> who's tied with a guy from the 60s. Like, that's it. Back when in the 60s, there was one guy catching passes. That was it. You, you want to throw the ball to him. So, yeah, that's that's a tougher one because as it spreads around a lot more to different receivers, there's more pie to feed everyone, right? But your individual slice of that pie isn't as big. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if any of them survive, maybe that one. Yeah. Uh, Jay, receptions, yards, receiving touchdowns, and all-purpose yards. Any of these going to fall in our lifetime? I, maybe in our lifetime, but not the current talent that's there, and especially in the climate of people leaving for their – their health reasons and when players are getting paid as much as they are now, like what's the point? You have to be like a, a psychopath and play until you basically can't <clears throat> or B, like you made enough money. Exactly. And then like B, you made enough money that you don't need to do that to your body. You value other things in life. Your interests change. I just feel like it's, these guys aren't, I mean, they're dependent on the game, but after you get on that second contract, and you're making bank. Like, those records might be untouched for a while, and I'm actually okay with that. Like, it shouldn't be, you know, the next quarterback gets paid, he's the highest-paid player. Those records kind of just, they sit back there and remind people of how great someone has been. So I don't think they're going to get touched for a while, for a lot of those reasons. Yeah, I, I think to say that any of those are going to happen in our lifetime, I think it's a reach. Someone would have to come along that's just that much better than everybody else, and Honestly, in our lifetime of being able to follow football, I, I would argue that we've seen three guys that could do that, that could be that, Randy Moss. If he wasn't such a head case, probably Terrell Owens. And then the third one, Calvin, who retired early. I honestly believe if Calvin had just played a full career or what is commonly referred to as a full career, I, I don't know that Calvin couldn't have touched a lot of these records or at least come relatively close. Even when you double team him, the guy still caught everything that was thrown at him. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Calvin finished 23rd all-time in touchdowns. Tied with Brandon Marshall, who played four more seasons. Yeah, so I, I think wow. I think we've seen the talent. The problem is, like you said, Jay, with people retiring so early, I don't know that anybody's going to play long enough for it to be there. It's, it's just tough. Um, the last one I had for football, and this one's just real quick because of how, how much of an air raid the league is steadily becoming. Uh, Russ, Drew Brees has three passing records in this league. He's got the yards, he's got the completions, and he's only 16 touchdowns behind Peyton. So you have to believe eventually he's going to have those. With how much of a passing like, you know, a passing league it is, but also with how much of a turnover in quarterbacks we see, we don't see as many guys that stick around there like, you know, with a team for 15 years anymore. We see a lot of quick turnover. You if you're not producing within 2 years, you're pretty much done. Uh, is there anybody in this league that we think could go up, go for a run at Drew, at Drew Brees' records? Um, probably. I'm trying to look at it now. Like, keep think, in mind with the whole like shuffling around thing that you're talking about. Drew Brees played for the Chargers, right? And he was old news at right. one point, and it almost ended up with Miami because they picked Culpepper instead. So. Good, good job, Miami. Good job, Miami. Um, <laughs> yeah, that changed the course of history. Um, he ended up with the Lions back up. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there definitely will be, like, just, like, career passing yards. Like, even Matt Ryan is flirting with the top ten already. Mm-hmm. Um, guys have been in the league 11 seasons, so 
he would have to have some kind of crazy longevity like Brady and Breeze have shown. But he's already knocking at it, and and he's not necessarily a guy that if we not if we name the top five quarterbacks in the league, how many lists include Matt Ryan? Right? Maybe yeah. not a lot of them. Not very many um, at all. You, you look at the top ten. What one, two, three, four, five of them are active players still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be someone that catches them for sure. It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers though. He's down at sixteen, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be because there's. There's also a movement to start young quarterbacks sooner. So they're going to have a few more years to have a bigger bite at that apple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, def- I would like to point out there is someone standing in Drew Brees' way to get that touch- career-passing touchdowns. Uh, that's, my boy, that's my boy number 12, who's right now got five more touchdowns than Drew Brees at the moment. And he doesn't seem to be slowing down either. So, Drew, if you want this, you need to start. You need to get back and start throwing some touchdowns because Tom Brady's just not going to give away records. He's just not going to do it. Um, Jay, you know hockey's coming, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go away from hockey for one minute. I'm gonna talk a little baseball with Russ. This is real quick, Russ. I actually what? Te- yeah, I actually teased this into you the other day when we were out for your guys' birthday, asking you what's the difference between you know the live ball era and all that, and you explained oh, it. All right. yep. So I'm gonna take the 367 off the table. I don't think anybody could could do it in today's baseball. Ted Williams retired from baseball with a 344 batting average. That's insane. It's he's still probably the greatest hitter of all time. Do you believe that in our lifetime we will see someone retire with even a 320 batting average? Ooh, I'm not even going to say 344 because that's that's asking right, will yeah. we see someone get better. I, I would like to say, do we even expect a 320 batting average for a career retiring? Assuming yeah, they play a long enough career, you can't retire after one bat, one at bat. Right. It, w- it would have made my answer a lot easier if we had played at three forty-four. So thanks. Um, three twenty. Uh, it's a really good question. I'm. If we're just saying in our lifetime, and assuming I'm not going to get hit by a bus tomorrow, mm-hmm. knock on wood, um, I'm, I'm actually going to lean no because of the transition in hitting now of the of the long ball, basically of. I might strike out more, but I'm going to hit more home runs. And then guys are willing to trade five more home runs for 30 more strikeouts. And it's being, it's just permeating through the entire league, and that's the way everyone's doing it. We're not, we're not seeing the guys that, all right, well, I could load up and take a shot to deep right, or I could just slap one into left. It, it, it doesn't get as much play anymore. Even the little guys are trying to hit big. Like, look, look at Jose Altuve. I was going to say Altuve, I probably... Yeah. Yeah, he could probably hit the mark, but the game's changing in in batters' approaches. So no, I I don't know that we will get a three twenty career guy yeah. anytime soon. And like I said, Russ reads my notes before every show because you actually transitioned to my other question. And I'm gonna there, I'm gonna Perfect. give you I'm gonna give you two options here. I want to know if you think one, both, or neither. Uh, I put an asterisk next to both of these because of the fact that it's the steroid era, but. In our lifetime, do you expect to see anyone with the long ball being such a big thing in baseball now, and we have so many guys that can hit with such power and such consistency to do it, do you expect us to ever see someone hit 762 home runs, or we could say put an asterisk on it and say Hank Aaron's 755? Do you ever expect somebody to get above 750 in home runs, and do you ever expect to see someone break Barry Bonds' 
single season home run record. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Okay. Um, so you think you think something same... like you think something like eighty home runs is actually feasible? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not it's it's not going to become a you know everyday whole home thing, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it is. Like, look at the technology and the way we played the game when Hank put up what he put up. Right. And mm-hmm. yes, Barry went from a skinny, fast guy to a big-headed monster who launched home runs, and that was aided, obviously. But we can see some of these things, like going back to Altuve that we just talked about. He hit 31 this year. Like, yes, there's going to be someone that's just coming up there that some team's going to give a chance to go, hey, green light, anything. Yeah. Somebody will get it. Maybe not in the next five years, more like the next 10, 15 at least. If, if not sooner, I, I think we will see it because that's what baseball wants. That's what baseball needs. You think we'll see the season record? Yeah, do you I think, do. Do you think and anybody it, stays around long enough to go for the career record? Oh, I do. And if the Angels are smart, uh, Mike Trout will get the opportunity because they'll sign him to a bajillion-year deal. <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> go. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think the the career record, I believe, is feasible. I just feel like once a guy gets to 50, 55, you're going to see pitchers going, yeah, I'm not being the guy that's going to add to this record. And I feel like this guy's not going to get anything to hit. You're, you're going to take the, the sacrifice of putting him on first for someone who's not on pace to hit 100 home runs over someone who you know, is on pace to do as such. So I feel like the career record is more than possible. You play long enough, you have a, you know, you have a decent enough consistency in years of couple 40 home run seasons, this and that, you can get there. I Whereas I just don't think anybody's ever going to let a guy see enough good pitches or hittable pitches to get to 73 or yeah, seventy three home runs. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, that's um, fair. You'll just have to have something like, unfortunately, the Yankees, um, where if you pitch around them, you're in trouble too. Yeah, only that's what I'm. Yeah, so, yeah, that's I, I, harder. That's I understand. A good consideration. Um, and now I'm going to bring Jay back into this because Jay, we're we're getting we're getting so close. Hockey is coming up, but mm-hmm. I know how much you love basketball. And these. Oh my God! I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is where I wanted to bring this up because this is where I want to make my case. I think that I have found at least two, maybe three records that I think are more likely to never be broken than any of Wayne Gretzky's records. Okay, and I want to present. I want. I want to present them because I genuinely think these are records that just will never be touched. Now, granted, like Wayne, the guy I'm about to bring up for uh, for one of them was light years ahead of everybody else when he played. The record I think will never be broken, and this is the safest record in all of sports: Wilt Chamberlain's twenty three thousand nine hundred twenty four career rebounds. The next active closest active player playing has 13,000, and that's Dwight Howard, who is not going to get another 10,000 rebounds in his lifetime. He's not even going to probably get 5,000. So I would say that is the safest record, 23,000, basically 24,000 rebounds. No one's getting close to that. It's not going to happen in today's game. There's no one that's that far above everybody else to get 24,000 rebounds. So that's my untouchable record and i want to ask you russ actually i'll ask jay jay loves basketball jay twenty four thousand rebounds is not going to happen in in our lifetime if you made me guess how many rebounds 
Will Chamberlain had, I wouldn't even come close to that number. That's astronomic. <laughs> that's that's huge. Like, if you would have just asked me a month, I would have been like fourteen hundred. Like that's that's all I would get out of that. So which no. would still be that's, the record. Yeah, it would still be just fine. Um so Russ since Wait, you, you just said twenty four thousand two seconds he's got ago. Twenty three he's got twenty three thousand nine hundred and twenty four. Yeah, and the second okay. guy's at thirteen thousand. No, Jay said uh, Jay said thirteen hundred. <laughs> oh, then I just misheard you. Then I'm the ass. Yeah. Maybe I'm no, the no. ass. I'm but the ass. yeah, the next the next closest <laughs> active. I, I, there are other guys that have numbers closer, but Dwight Howard is the next closest closest active player to do it. And Dwight Howard for Magic. What's that? Does he still play for the Orlando? No, Magic? he plays for the Lakers now. Oh, man, he's Again. back in L.A. But uh, no, and he's <laughs> he's ten thousand rebounds behind. That's what I'm saying. He's that far behind. That I just yeah, no. it'll never happen. Uh, so Russ, that one I think is the most untouchable. But just because I like talking about basketball and I want to give it to the short white guy, John Stockton has three thousand. Oh, Nash got it. Not Steve Nash. John Stockton has three thousand two hundred and sixty-five career steals. The next closest active player is Chris Paul, who is definitely not a spring chicken in the NBA right now. And he's got 2,122. That is another record that I don't think will ever be touched. I don't think, I mean, guys average a steal a game, maybe. You have to play quite a few games to get to that. And in an 82-game season, I'm not great at math, that's a lot of seasons to get anywhere near 3,000 steals. That is, in fact, a lot of seasons. Thank Terrified. You. Thank you. <laughs> no, I... um. I like the rebound one is untouchable more, um, okay. and partially because the dedicated rebound guy, it's gone. It's been phased out of the league. Like mm-hmm. Lloyd Howard is is clinging on to the last bit of it, and well, we've seen how many teams he's been on in the last like what seven months. So we we can see that role is even disappearing for the teams that are trying to use it. Yeah. So twenty four thousand rebounds. I mean, and that's and that's just the ones he had after a breakup, right? Ew. Well, you got to think when he was playing, all the centers yeah. were six foot three white guys, so he was a foot taller than well, all right. of them. Yeah, he he had a tremendous advantage at the time, and in a in a role that isn't there anymore. Like Russ Westbrook is getting ten rebounds a night. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to have centers averaging enough to get that. Plus, we have the dangerous word of load management. Yeah. So who knows if a big guy's even gonna? He's not gonna play 82. I can promise you that. Yeah. Or does he play 70? Right. So that's even harder to reach it. Um, that's kind of why I'm tentative on saying that steals may, is even possible to be broken because guys aren't gonna play as often either. So they're gonna have to play more years, and getting more steals. Uh, that's tough. They, yeah. They've cracked down on a lot of the reach in stuff. So it's. I'll say no. Neither of them get broken. Uh, but the rebounds is far more untouchable. Yeah. Oh, and I think I think the closest guy you could say to dedicated rebounder is probably Drummond because he doesn't have much of an offensive game anyway, <laughs> and he's hey, not dude, getting anywhere near put, it. Like a steal or two a game. <laughs> yeah, but he's not going to get anywhere near twenty four thousand rebounds. So, um, no, he's not. The last one before we get to hockey because I know Jay's going to have a lot to say about Wayne Gretzky's records. But the last one because I know how much Jay loves LeBron James. Oh God, that guy. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has the most points in NBA history. He's got 38,387. The next closest active player is LeBron James with 32,543. Jay, I'll ask you, 
We know he's not slowing down anytime soon, and we know LeBron's usually probably good for about 20 to 25 points a season, or a game. Do you think when it's all said and done, at the end of this man's career, he will be the number one in all-time points in the NBA? He only needs 6,000, basically. You need a little under 6,000. I want to say no just to spite the man, but that might be like <laughs> all that he'll be gunning for as he gets older. Is he wants to like hit that three that makes him the leader and then retire on the court. I'm still convinced he retires mid-game. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's difficult because he's not LeBron of past. He's much slower. and I, I watch him at least because he's somewhat entertaining, but I'm going to go with no just based on his age and he will probably pull a left Hook out of nowhere and retire out of out of nowhere. So, I think he'll limit himself. He, he could do it if he stuck around, but what, I'll go with no. Wouldn't that be a dick move if he broke the record doing the shot that Kareem Abdul Jabbar made famous, a sky hook to break Abdul's record? Be ridiculous. Uh, Russ, the only way you can do it. Yeah, only way you can do it. Russ, well, is LeBron James going to be the all-time leading scorer in the NBA when it's all said and done? Yeah, yeah, he'll hang on long enough because I think he's got a sick sense of humor that he's going to try and hold on long enough to play a couple games with his son. So just by sure accident, he's going to get enough. Okay, that's fair. Um, Yeah, I I agree with you both on that one. I don't think that – I think he'll hold on long enough, and I think he's just too much of a physical force that you can't just give him the ball. By the end of his career, I think he's legitimately going to just be a center – because he's so big and so like he has so much muscle to him, you can give it to him down low, and he'll he'll still score fifteen, twenty points a night just on layups, and he you know mm-hmm. he's got enough of a shot. So I think it's going to happen. All right, guys. I mean, I don't think I need to read these records. I think you guys know these records, but I'm going to read them anyway. Uh, these are Wayne Gretzky's personal records. These are just his personal records. Uh, he's got ninety two goals in a season. I believe that's probably pretty close to a record. Uh, assist 163, points in a season 215, career goals 894, assist 1962, points for a career 2,856. I, I believe I read this somewhere, and it probably is Justin telling me it. Isn't it that he has more career assists than the next guy has points? Um, I can tell you that real quickly. Uh, NHL leaders for assists, career... Sorry, this is live. Yeah, isn't he's at 1,000. Yeah, 1,963. He has more career Yager's assists than the next guy's got points. Yep, and Yager's got 1921 points. Okay, well, if we saw, <laughs> uh, I don't know if anybody saw that picture of Yarmir Yager. He might be able to come back and you know bang in another hundred points if he really needs to. Um, so, of all these records in our lifetime, with how much like talent is coming into the NHL and how like these young players we're seeing. Uh, Jay, will any of these records fall in our lifetime? No. You don't think we'll ever see a 100-goal season? I mean, in a single season, probably not. I don't – I mean, the game is fast, so if if we're going faster, there should be more goals, right? And we've seen, like, a huge uptick over last season and this season. There was a game last week that was, like, 6-4. to Could it maybe happen? Sure, but I don't know if that talent base is there. Like, we have a lot of guys that are getting four goal nights. That's probably not going to happen for a while again. So I don't, I don't see a guy that plays right now. Not even Connor McDavid. Like, he's not going to 
just have the offense purely run through him like Gretzky did back in the day. So I, I'm going to say no. Gretzky's records are untouchable. Okay. Russ? I, I agree because one simple thing, uh, it's called butterfly. <laughs> Goalies will drop yeah. down and cover the bottom of the net. <laughs> they can shrink the pads all they want. Uh, the cat's out of the bag. Goalies can actually play goalie now. So, no, we're not going to see a 100-goal season. Like, we've had a couple guys, Line A, Ovechkin, I think Austin Matthews can do it, get 50-goal seasons, which is a crazy amount in and of itself. It's halfway there. Like, no, no, we're not going to see it. It was crazy times. The NHL was broken. And we had a transcendent talent happen to be born at the same time to take advantage of it. Um, we'll be talking about him forever. Okay. All right. Um, for the the career goals, I don't think anybody's going to touch him. I, I don't think. I, I think nine hundred goals, almost two thousand assists, and just shy of three thousand points. I think those are those are safe. You can go to bed knowing you'll never have them. The only way you're going to get them is if you create a guy on NHL twenty and make him all ninety nine and just never pass the puck. That's it. You're never going to have it otherwise. The only one that I would make an argument is maybe doable is the 215 points in a season. I think a guy comes out, like Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, that kind of talent, he comes out and really wants to score, maybe gets to 60. I mean, you're already like you already have 60 points just off the goals. You need another 140 to get to two or you need yeah, another 140 in assists. Someone really has a year. I it's possible. It's uh, clearly it's possible someone did it. That would be the only one, though. I don't think we'll ever see a hundred goal season. I don't know about one hundred and sixty three assists. I think it could be very tough, but I, I could see someone having a hot year, sixty goals, one hundred and forty assists. I could see it. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I think it's a lot more possible than twenty four thousand rebounds. So that would be my only one. Last where game would have to land. What's that? Oh, where did where, where did Kucherov land last year? Because that's like the best performance I've known over the past couple of seasons. Kucherov last year, 128 points, 41 goals, 87 assists. Mm, Eric might have a point here. Every once in a while, I have but, those. <laughs> but but think about that. He has to score almost 100 more points than that. I'm not saying. Listen, listen. I understand how difficult it would be to be or to do. I'm not saying that it's like something that we should expect. But I'm saying, a guy like Connor McDavid, who I think we can argue mm-hmm. is a generational talent, he's going to be a, someone we're going to be talking about like we talked about Sidney, like we talked about yep. you know Gretzky, like we talked about Gordy. If he goes out there with the commitment of, all right, my team sucks, I have to score, and he has a year, it's possible. I mean, you put in 60 That's already goals. the case, though. He already has to do that and is doing that. I, I understand that. I understand that. I'm just saying, I, I do believe in our lifetime, with how much the talent is elevating every year, I believe in our lifetime, whether we're 35 or we're 75 when this happens, I believe we will see someone go out and do 60 goals, 140 assists, something like that, and get to the 200 threshold. I think it's a it's a feasible thing. I'm pretty sure when Gordy retired, no one, everyone was going, yeah, no one's touching that record. Someone touched that record eventually. It's not, records well, are yeah, made to be the broken. the game drastically changed. I, I understand that. I understand, like you said, so that's you, you pointed out, again. Wayne Gretzky came at the right time, but he also happened to be the right amount of talent to do it. It was a perfect marriage. 
I'm saying that talent's getting better and better every day. So I think at some point it's it's a feasible possibility. Do I think it's likely? No. But of all these records, I'm willing to stake that one as the most likely. Kind of like the home run record. You get to 60, 70 goals. They're just going to start doubling you and worrying about everybody else. So if the they didn't already do that before then. The 100, the 100 goals. Dumb, oh, no, yeah. we do have some dumb coaches. You're right. We do have some dumb coaches. The 100 goals, I think that's that's out of the, the realm of possibility. I really do. The you know his His season goals, the only one I could see is the two... 200 because no one's gonna one you'd have to play a long ass time to get there because Wayne was just that far above everybody else that you have to score twice as much as you already are the next closest guy is Yager and he played 72 years in the NHL just to get next to him so (laughs) don't rule him out for next year dude that dude is jacked right now bring him back all he's got to do just I could see him just hammering through people putting the puck in he's gonna shoot it it's gonna go right through someone uh no, I think the two hundred offer up one offer up one NHL thing I think will never be broken and it might be like the biggest lock out of all records that will never be touched. Ooh. Okay. I mean there's a spicy key. It, there are only four current NHL players in the top one hundred still playing that are even in this category of accounting stat and none of them are gonna come close to even cracking the top ten. And it's penalty minutes. And I know I'm like doing this on a technicality, but they're going to legislate the shit out of fighting and penalty minutes in the NHL over the next like five to ten years. No one's ever like those. It's going to be like a reverse stat. Like you don't want to get them. Like no one wants to be that leader. No one's going to even touch the top ten. Well, wait, like, maybe me, even ever again. Let me clarify if I understand what you're saying here. Of the mm-hmm. NHL, like, are you talking about people who are in the top hundred for penalty minutes? Penalty minutes career. Totals. And there are only four only people four current still players active? in the top 100. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Cody McLeod, okay. Dano Chara, Scott Hartnell, and then the guy who's the big prick on ice is Chris Neal, but he's probably close to retiring. He's got 2,500 and change, and the leader is close to 4,000. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Chris there's any. not retire? Yeah, I don't think anybody. Dano Chara yeah, can't Chris play that yeah. Oh, he did? Did he? Yeah, yeah, his last his last game was in 2017. Oh, they haven't updated. So then I take that back. The first closest guy, Justin. Is Chara I did research when I looked this up. You could have done a little research, man. Like, what the hell? You're throwing out fake facts here. I don't like it. Sorry. No, it's fine. I think because even like in like the lower level uh, hockey leagues, they're trying to get rid of fighting and penalty minutes as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it's, it's a technicality. I just think those are those are a different day and age of hockey. It won't be touched. Yeah, I could see it. I could. I think it's... Well, plus when your name's Tiger Williams, you deserve to have that record. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a name. Yeah, that yep. is true. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you, you can make a case for a lot of these as records that will never be touched. And part of it is it, it is the fact that when these records were set, because you think a lot of these records were set 20 years ago, uh, it's things that... The game's changed too much, but I also think the talent is elevating with the game. So to say that these records won't at least be sniffed again, I think it's possible. I think you could definitely make an argument for a couple of them, and we'll see. I think it gives us something to look forward to over the next 50 years because what we're about to talk about is not something we look forward to. So that was our fun portion, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. It was, you know, enjoyable experience, and now let's all start crying. Uh you know what? I'm I'm 
we need to be in the right headspace for this. So I'm just going to do it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Marcus, 60 Seconds of Salt. Jay, wherever you go with your salt is where we go with this show. Let's hear it. 60 Seconds Salt. No, no foreplay. You didn't let me like talk about faith and get a little angry, and then I can lead in. I got to just go full All right, play. all right. Ready, so. ready, ready? You lost to Wisconsin because you Thank have you. no offense. Go. Thank you. All right, well, <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the pep talk, but I'm not going to talk about my Spartans. I'm going to oh. talk about the Detroit Lions. I, okay. as of today, October 17th, am tired. I haven't been a fan as long as most people have in this state, but I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely tired of allowing people in media to take a small aspect of the team and glorifying it as the bottom line issue for this team. In this season alone, just now, it, it's not Stafford. It's not just the penalties. It's not just same old Lions. It's not the referees. It's not the league is out to get us. Like I had those guttural feelings on Monday night as well, but now that I've listened to people talk for four or five days, it's not just that. We, If we're going to be in the business of casting blame and accountability, you have to look at the bigger picture of everything. Blaming Stafford or the refs, it, it, that's not what's happening here. Like it, It's the equivalent of saying, oh, my house is cold and it's my furnace's fault because it can't keep up with the temperature. Well, when your house has a gaping hole in the roof, you're never giving your furnace a chance. And that gaping hole is Patricia and Quinn. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of the accountability being so narrowly focused on certain aspects. Like we put ourselves in positions where we're good enough to win, but we're bad enough to steal it from ourselves. And that's what pisses me off. Putting 12 guys on the field for a, a field goal, which gives them the yardage to not have a first down. That's, that's accountability towards Patricia, Patricia and Quinn. And bottom lining it, everyone's been focusing on refs and these billboards that are across Michigan right now. Great. I don't know who the fuck wasted their time making those. They're funny. But it's not like don't don't put yourself in a position where we have to make billboards of referees. It's done and I'm done and I'm tired and it's just I, I really put this on Patricia and Quinn and if we're that good enough, it's up to them to get us over that hump where we're not in positions where we lose games and make billboards of referees. So I'm, I'm focusing on those two guys because this is, you're the gaping hole in the lion's roof and they need to fill it. So that's what I'm really more pissed about though. I'm tired. All right. That was 60 seconds of salt with Justin Marcus. Um, Russ, from everything I heard in that, Justin wants to lead off the show with U of M. So (laughs) (laughs) no, we can talk lions. Absolutely. We can talk lions because I think of everything we're going to talk about here in the next, you know, couple minutes, the Lions are the thing that are the most complex. Uh, first thing I wrote in my notes today were penalties killed us, but they didn't end us. Those those calls are what they are. They were very badly done. There's no reason Patricia doesn't throw a flag on that pass interference. You have to challenge that. You have to. That puts you in a totally different situation. Unfortunately, the two hands to the face ones are not uh, challengeable, but they were terrible calls anyway. Uh, last time I checked, a guy's shoulder pads are in his face. I mean, I, I get the what? whole, I get the head Can we bones. Get a doctor check on that. Well, I get the head bones connected <laughs> to the neck bone, connected to the shoulder bone, all that shit. But there it is. not in this situation. Um, I did enjoy. I don't know if you guys heard this. I did enjoy the quotes. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. The left tackle, ba- Bakiar, whatever his name is. Bakiar, uh, yeah. Uh, he apparently before those calls was going to the ref, complaining, asking, "How much longer do I have to spend?" staring at the sky on on the pass rush so apparently he was complaining that uh flowers are doing this all night so it sounds like a few of these 
were a bit of him being able to talk the ref into believing that this was happening and the ref seeing his head go back and assuming. So sounds like he was baited a little bit, but at the same time, if you're a ref, you need to know for sure in those kind of situations that this is happening, especially when you're going to call a hands to the face where Batiara literally face masks him before it happens. So the calls were detrimental, but at the same time, they did not end us. Hawkinson has to catch that touchdown. There's no reason he doesn't. Uh, we cannot sit here and expect Matt Prater to be responsible for 75% of our points every single week. Stafford, I mean, the numbers are all right. 18-32, 265. You have to put one in the end zone. It has to happen for us. I mean, we had no running game. Carrion was our leading rusher with 34, car- or 34 yards on 13 carries. Didn't even average three yards a carry. I mean... Russ, I don't know about you. Galladay's looking to really develop into a superior number one receiver. I mean, this guy, five catches for 121 receiving yards. I'm liking the weapons we have and what we're doing with them. The problem is you cannot have a a flea flicker to open this game. Big shock play. You get them back. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're against the ropes. And then you proceed to fall down twice, and you end up finishing that drive at the 20 with a field goal. These are the moments that the Lions do not capitalize on. And to me, as bad as the calls were, that's what ended it. I feel like you probably feel the same. I do. I do. You can't go up 13 nothing and just start taking your foot off the gas. Like This is the thing about football that probably drives me the craziest outside of everything. The penalty and, and, and all that jazz. But you're up 13 nothing. Something's working. Something's working very well. Don't get away from it. Don't don't go conservative. Don't try and run the ball more and short things and change a game plan. Put your foot not on the throat. Put it through the throat. Keep doing it. Five of the ten Lions drives started with a pass. On, on first down, first play, pass. Four of their six scoring drives started with a pass. Uh, you you want to guess first drive, pass. Second drive, pass. Third drive, oh, look at this. And then they went away from it, and then they stopped doing it, and they get in long situations, and they run the ball ineffectively, and they completely change. So, yeah, they're not finishing, and they're getting away from what got them there in the first place. It, it was incredibly frustrating to watch this happen. It, and, yes, the penalties took away the chance to win at the end. Um, the Lions still probably did enough to not lose, but they're not without blame themselves. The, the refs took away their chance to win but the Lions were on the road before that even happened. Yeah, and uh, Russ, I, I don't know if you even still had him or not, but I think uh, Aaron Jones did everything he could to help us. I mean, dropping the <laughs> yeah, touchdown. Aaron Jones was playing for the Lions. Yeah, he in the was first playing quarter. for the Lions in the you know in that first, and I think that's why they went over to Jamal Williams. They just Aaron Jones couldn't do it. So, um, but I agree. Like, if you want to shed that old mentality of the old Lions that you know can't get it done you need to prove to us that you are this new team you need to when you have the opportunities to drive the dagger you need to drive the dagger i i i don't really care how you do it a a win is a win is a win there's no reason this team cannot be four and one right now you fell apart in the second half against the the cardinals that is what it is that should have been a w that was the early signs of where you caved you got some very lucky uh things to fall your way the next couple weeks against the Chargers and the Eagles. But doesn't matter. Sloppy games are part of the game, whether it's your team or the other team. 
sometimes that's just how it is. You cannot look at that as, even though it is kind of the other team losing it, you cannot look at it as you winning it when those things happen, but you still got the W. Kansas City was something special. We, we I don't think that happens 9 out of 10 times, but that's where you fall. There's no reason this team isn't 4-1 at the end of the year. Uh, Jay, you kind of already gave us your opinion on this and what you're thinking, but I, I have to argue with you on one thing. While I'm not sold on Quinn, I, I don't think Patricia is, is the is the issue here. I really do believe that Patricia has this figured out in some ways, but I think Patricia's the only thing to blame on Patricia is the fact that Patricia doesn't seem comfortable making adjustments at halftime. Patricia seems to think whatever I came up with leading into the week is what I'm going to go with for four quarters, and that's not always the way to do it. So to me, it's it's not so much the the head coach that's the issue. To me, it's just a mentality and letting the little mistakes affect us way more than they should. Okay, uh, what's the guy's name? Lazard... He went after Coleman a couple times, and he, he, he was able to beat us down. That cannot be the end of it. You cannot let him just march them quietly down the field. If, if it's that how it is, switch him up. Put Slay on him. Put Slay on him, and let Slay contend with him. Don't let these little mistakes be what ends up causing us the game. So I don't think it's Patricia. Yeah. I think it's more the little the little issues becoming bigger than they really need to be. Look, do you, don't, don't you feel like, like there's a reason why when we had 12 guys on the field or when dumb things happen that aren't in favor of the Lions, like the broadcast team cuts over to Patricia and he looks like he's trying to conceal a fart and he's not like agitated or pointing at a guy or grabbing a guy by the face. Like he's not doing a Pete Carroll or a Doug Peterson routine. Like he just sits there. He looks like he's clenching his ass together because he doesn't want to fart while the camera's on. Like I want him mad. Yeah, I, I know, but you know, you know the happened. one issue with that? There, uh. yeah, I get that, but you know the one issue of that? And the one reason you'll never get that as long as he's here, he comes from the school of Bill Belichick. When's the last time you heard Bill Belichick speak, let alone get angry at someone? Bill Belichick doesn't do that. He keeps it in. He goes over and talks to his team when he needs to, but he lets it you know, rip on, on the weekdays at practice and in that locker room. He's P- Patricia knows nothing but that. He's he spent the last so many years with Bill Belichick that he's, he's going to... Go with that same approach. He's not going to blow up on the sideline because blowing up on the sideline does nothing but cause a distraction. You know where the mistake is. You have someone, believe me, you have someone on that staff, mark it, and then whether it's halftime or after the game, you go over and you say, hey, listen, this cannot happen. Whether it's a pass interference, a holding, you know, fumble of the ball, this is the thing you cannot do because we're relying on you to not make that mistake. So, if you want that loud, over-the-top, animated coach, which, by the way, you should be very used to coaches that don't have any emotional reaction. Uh, we're talking about Mark D'Antonio. So uh, if you want that, that's fine. It's not going to be Matt Patricia. But if you want a coach that understands X's and O's and, for all other things, bleeds football, this is our guy. This guy does not care about anything but football, and he's committed to trying to turn this program around. And you know what? In the first year and a half we've seen so far, he's made a couple steps in the right direction. This isn't going to, we, we all know this isn't going to be an overnight process. No one expected this team to go from what they were last year to being, you know, 14 and 2 this year. We knew that it was going to be a middle of the road team that, if anything, was going to squeak into a playoff spot. That's what we're on pace for right now. 
You look at the rest of the schedule, there's no reason we cannot come up with some serious wins. There's no reason that we cannot be in contention at the end of the year playing Green Bay for a chance to win the division, which we've seen that before. But fingers crossed, the new momentum is actually going to be the one little thing that gets us over that hump, and it doesn't turn into a 34-3 to loss to Green Bay to win the division. I, I understand. I just... I. In my eyes, like he's getting pushed into a corner every game that we lose over dumb stuff, and I just want to see some emotion out of him, if anyone, and probably just him, to be like, I give a damn. I want this to work out. Like he should be limited. That we had twelve guys on the field for a field goal opportunity. Like, I agree. I agree. The, the, I don't know. The, I just I, I look at my kids when my kids fuck up. I don't just stand there and blankly stare at them and be like, thank you for doing that. Thank you for coloring on the walls. I yell. I get mad. I get angry. I put them in timeout. He needs to put some people in timeout. It's very hard to put a guy that's making like $7 million a year in timeout when you're not making as much as he is. We've seen that happen. Let's do it. Um, also, didn't we just see this with Jim Schwartz? Yeah. Like exactly what Justin's asking for? And how well did that work out? No, it didn't. The only thing I will say that I see of Patricia that I don't like, and I know, Jay, you'll agree with me on this just because he was someone you were not a fan of, and that's uh, Jim Caldwell. Patricia has that same mentality of timeouts are precious. Don't use them. Listen. Oh, don't get me started on that. You have uh, he he did he did all right in this last game of using the timeouts in the right way to manage the clock. And if the penalties didn't happen, he did it the right way. That Stafford's getting that ball back with close to two minutes and a decent enough field position. So the thing that worries me though is he lost the challenge early in the year. He now seems to be afraid to challenge. Listen. Marvin Jones got clotheslined, clotheslined on that pass interference. Everybody in the stadium saw it, and everyone in the stadium are thanking the gods that Patricia didn't throw that flag because that's a first down on pretty much their 20-yard line going in. That's And then even if it is a field goal, now you have to score a touchdown to beat us. That field goal doesn't win you the game. So that's the one thing I'm starting to see that reminds me a lot of Caldwell, and I'm hoping it's a habit He'll break over the next couple weeks, and that is, listen, I don't give a shit if we have no timeouts going into the, the final possession. Stafford's done it before with no timeouts. He can do it again. If you see a play that's worth challenging that's going to go in our favor and help us win this game, please, for the love of God, throw the, throw the red flag. And if you don't want to do it, give it to Stafford. Let him take his helmet off on the field and throw the red flag for you. It's, it's legitimately the thing that bothers me most about Patricia is his lack of ability or lack of desire to want to challenge these plays and help put his team in a better position. It's almost like he's afraid if he challenges it and loses it that everyone's going to chew his head off the next day. And we're not. If it's a clear-cut play, fans and the team, they're going to support your call. You're the head coach. It's your job to do this. So that's that's my big thing, Jay. And I, and I know you probably, you're probably right there with me. You Last year, that's all we talked, or a couple years ago, that's all we were talking about was Caldwell's inability to use the timeouts. Oh yeah, well, he, he, I mean, I think Patricia used all didn't use all but one timeout for the first half of every game, like the first four or five games. You're like, just you get, get the ball, like, call a timeout, get get forty six seconds and do something crazy. Nope, we'll just let them have possession, bleed it out. Like just uh, you have tools, use them. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ross. Well, it's that time. Uh, we got Lions. We got Minnesota this week. Uh, honestly, this to me feels like a winnable game, but. You know, I, I use ESPN for this, so we'll go off what they have. Minnesota's a 63% favorite. The spread's only two points. Uh, Over-under is 44, so 
when you look at this game, you got Kirk Cousins who last week decided he wanted to show that he could actually throw the football and had a decent enough week. Um, when you look at this game, Lions come off a tough one. They're going to probably have to really step it up, really execute against a team that's, to me, is so slow this year. Who are you looking or who are you taking to win this one in Detroit, Minnesota? So I've got some scary stuff to point out first. Oh, God. The Lions did not score a touchdown against Minnesota last year in either game. They've lost the last three against the Vikings, including two at home. They didn't cover the spread in any of those games. Minnesota has a better defensive and offensive um, value over average when you, when you talk about efficiency stats. Um, it's, it's been bad. Head-to-head, <laughs> it's been bad. But I'm taking the Lions anyways because, you know what, I'll take the abuse one more time. Yeah. Minnesota's had a weak schedule. Calvin Cook has not had a 100-yard rushing game against the Lions, which is kind of arbitrary, but his best game was a 10-for-89 with a 70-yard rush. Outside of that, they were able to contain him. Mm-hmm. I think this Vikings team, if you can contain Cook, like the Lions look like they've mostly been able to, and put the game in Cousins' hands against a defense that has been able to keep every single game, including against the Chiefs, within four points, mm-hmm. is going to come down to the last possession. And am I going to trust Cousins? Stafford or the refs to decide the game. <laughs> uh, it's going to be the refs. Uh, but, but actually, that aside, I will take Stafford. 16-14, I think it's going to be a low one. Um, both teams have pretty good defenses. Minnesota is an excellent defense. But they'll game plan it. Um, yeah, so take the under. Take, take the Lions getting those points. Yeah, and then real quick, yes or no, do you expect the refs to kind of swallow the whistle a little more in this game stemming from last no. week? No, okay. no, no. We are we are here for misery. Life is misery. This might be hell. Okay, um, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, but as I'm looking at it, Stafford and Cousins numbers are almost exact matches of each other. Exact matches. I know. I don't like it. Like <laughs> I, Stafford literally has about 13 more passing yards. They both have nine touchdowns. Cousins has three interceptions to Stafford's two. The interesting one for me: Diggs and Galladay. Diggs is up on him by. Uh, about 60 yards. Okay, that's fine. Both have four touchdowns. Both have are literally one reception apart from each other. So you got a matching QB. You got top receivers that are right playing with each other. The only real difference is the fact that Cook does have about 200 more or 300 more rushing yards than Carrion, but we haven't been able to establish the run. So if you're asking me to look at this, I'm going off your number. Dalvin Cook, no 100-yard rushing against us. I like that. It means we're going to be able to do it. I like our D line against him. But if you're saying now you got to pick between Cousins and Stafford and Diggs and Galladay, I'm going to take Stafford and Galladay every day of the week. I, I like Diggs. Diggs is a great receiver. Galladay is something special. When I watch this guy play, this is a guy that literally will do anything he can to get to that ball. He'll lay out. He'll jump over you. He's going to do everything he can to get that ball and make sure they go downfield. So I'm with you, Russ. Um, I think it's going to be a low one. I don't think it's going to be that low of one. Uh, I'm saying 21-17. Detroit Lions, well, I think. What's that? I would just say, remember what those counting stats you were talking about. Minnesota's played one more game. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's 21-17. I think you're going to see the Lions. They're going to try to run that offense the way they've done the last couple weeks. They're going to give it a shot. But I think with how things are going, you're going to see uh, – Stafford go, all right, 
if this run game's not working, you need to give us about a possession or two to just let us open it up, move this ball. Let, we need to get some points on so that the defense doesn't necessarily have to hold on every one. We can afford to give up a field goal if that happens. And so I think it's going to be 21-17. I think Stafford's just going to go out there. He's going to have a day. We're going to see a, a good, efficient day out of him. Hopefully he can put it in the end zone two or three times for us. So, uh, Jay, what about you? You got you got a Sparty quarterback coming to uh, coming to us. Who are you taking? Do you like? Well, that? I, I guess if we're, <laughs> I do not like that. Um, yeah, referencing Cousins and Stafford in the same line is like insulting, but probably true. So that's pretty hilarious. Um, if we're all going to go on a ship together, we might as well all go down. Um, I'm taking the Lions to win thirty to seventeen. Uh, so Eric, I do like your seventeen, wow, but okay. this, this has this has to be an emotional response. It, it's got to be for the first time since week six of last year. Can we just win a damn game without any hesitation or question? Because that's the last time we did it was against the Dolphins. We had complete control. I had a relaxed Sunday. I'll never forget it. And we haven't had one of those in so long. So, if anything, we're due. Um, one thing that they must do, which uh, Russ kind of started touching on it. We have not possessed the ball as the clock struck zero in any of our games this year. We're not holding on to our wow. own fate. So I want to I wa- I see us actually win the game where, we're, where, where Stafford's taking a knee and we're just running out the clock and we win because we won. Can we just fucking win? And I don't mean to swear, but like, I just want to win. Just, just a win. No hesitation. No question. Own the ball and win the damn game. So give me the over and give me Lions winning 30-17. to 17. I like it. I like it. All right, so looks like when we talk about this next week, this should be a uh, a win for the Lions. We should be hopefully, fingers crossed, happy about what we saw. Um, listen, I see shades of making the right moves and heading in the right direction from this Lions team. I think this is legitimately just trying to shake off that last little bit of old Lions mentality of we're we're, we're never going to give the fair shake. Listen, calls are calls; they they happen to everyone. It was very bad the other night, but at the same time, I kind of like uh, Jeff Rieger asked Stafford about it, and Stafford said, we're we're on to Minnesota. That's where we're at right now. It's not going to do us any good to just keep saying, well, the ref screwed us, the ref screwed us. And I think that's the mentality to have. Head forward. This is a Minnesota team you can go out and beat, uh, and I th- it, should, it should be a good one. Um, Jay, we're going to give you a minute to relax. Russ, you and I are going to wait through the pain that is Michigan football right now. Uh <laughs> 42-25 win over the Fighting Illini. Uh, that's that team, Jay, that has like 20 uh, L's and I's in their name, as you quoted in your notes Ridiculous. last week. Um, Ridiculous. Listen, Shea Patterson, 11-22, 194, three touchdowns. Uh, Haskins, Charbonnet combined for, you know, 240, 240 rushing yards of the 295. Uh, looked great. Awesome. I remind you, it's the Fighting Illini. So... As much as two guys busting for a hundred yards is fantastic, it's it's the fighting line. I, I I'm I'm taking everything with a grain of salt here. Uh, the one thing I will say, Russ, before I let you give your analysis on this, the one thing I saw from this team that or I guess you would say two things, two very different things, but two things that I saw that worry me the most. I still didn't see them spacing it out and using these speed weapons the way they should have against this team. You had an opportunity. You got your 100-yard rushers. You, you, you had enough of a lead that you could have spaced it out a little bit. Let's see you hit People's Jones. Let's see you hit these guys like, uh, you know, like Tariq Black. Let's, let's get these guys going before we go into these tough games. I didn't see that. I don't like it. 
The other thing I saw, this defense looked lost for a good, I don't know, half hour there. They looked lost. No idea what to do. And I'll tell you right now, that can't happen the next two weeks because if it does, we're talking about a 5-3 and three team that has no hope for the rest of the year. Yeah, you're kind of spot on there. Um, I, I guess I'll lead with talking about Shea. Like you mentioned, yeah, it was supposed to be a pretty windy day, and it ended up being. Um, but the one thing if we can take away from this game was Harbaugh does not care for <laughs> any of your Dylan McCaffrey should be playing shenanigans. No. In the least. He said he was available. Um, there was a 28 to nothing lead. There was an ineffective Shea Patterson through, through part of it, and they still didn't play him. Uh, like he was in some of the huddles last night, but that was about it. And, and that every opportunity to do it. And then, yes, they got completely lost, and Illinois put up 25 straight points. This game was 28-25 to 25 in the fourth quarter. right? And on fourth down, Harbaugh went back to Patterson to run the ball. Like, no, this is his guy. This is his ride or die. And, um, man, we can scream into the void all we want. This is what's going to happen, and you can like it or not, apparently. Uh, but this is – they ran the ball well. The O-line dominated. They're going to need to because Penn State's coming, and Penn State's got a dominant defensive line, second most sacks in the league. It's, uh, it's a rough day to be looking at what ended up being a close game with more fumbles. They have nine fumbles in six games. Yeah. It's, it's I'm tough. sick of the fumble. Just one game without a turnover would it's be great. Tough. One of them. It, it, it is very tough. It is very tough. Um, I, I'm going to piggyback one question before we get into this game. And, Jay, I want your answer on this, too. Uh, Jay, I don't know if either of you listened to the ticket today. Uh, I do my best not to, but every once in a while I have to. Um, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Jay, you love Valeni, so I'm sure you heard this. And uh, it is a question I want to ask. Mainly I want to ask you, Russ, because we are U of M fans. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna paint you a scenario. I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm gonna paint you a scenario anyway. This team finishes it's a happy little tree. It's not a happy little tree. Uh, oh. This this team finishes <laughs> nine and three. They lose to Ohio State. Is Jim Harbaugh yeah. fired? What's the other loss? Notre Dame or Penn State? One of the two. Assuming they go fifty fifty on this. Right. So they win. They win this weekend. Then they they play Notre Dame and lose. And then we we get through right. the rest and then lose to Ohio State. They finished they finish the season 9-3. and three. Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against Ohio State. Has no major wins. Is Jim Harbaugh fired after that? I don't think they have the, uh, the guts to do it. Okay. I, I don't think he is. Especially if it's that situation where they beat Penn State but lose to Notre Dame. Because then it's coming down to Ohio State. They technically have a chance to win their half of the Big Ten and mm-hmm. go to the Big Ten Championship. Yeah. So you can go, hey, we're one game away. Look at that. So close. Maybe next year. Season tickets. Right? Like, yeah. He'll be back. Barring a, like, 7-5 and five disaster into the rest of the season, I think he walks back into his role next year. Okay. For better or worse. All right. Jay, same question. What about you? Or oh, me, you know, me, 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 me personally, I, I can give you a quick answer. 9-3, and three, if it's me making the decision, because I've, I've made it clear on this show, I like Harbaugh. I don't think Harbaugh is the savior. I don't think Harbaugh is everything... These U of M slap fans, the ones that we try to avoid being associated with, I, I, I don't agree with them. I think Harbaugh's a good coach. I don't know that Harbaugh is the guy that's going to get us over the hump and return us to U of M glory. 
So nine and three, you go zero and five against Ohio State. Yes, I think your job has to start being legitimately in jeopardy. I don't think they'll fire him, but I think you have to seriously start talking about. Okay, you need a ten and two, eleven and one season next year, or else we have to have a serious conversation that you're probably not going to like the end of. That's where I fall with it, uh, Jay. Sure. I mean, it, take the combination of Penn State, Ohio State, or Notre Dame, Ohio State. I think he should be gone. I, I think it's it, it inexcusable to not even like I fantasize about a reporter going up to him and be like, Hey, are you disappointed that you haven't achieved anything? Or like, what's your greatest achievement? Cause he wouldn't, what's he going to do? He hired someone who's never worked in the position before. Like, is that his greatest moment? Mm-hmm. Like you, he hasn't done anything. And if I was a fan, more or less, if I was working within the department, he'd be gone. Name another job. You could do nothing for five years and still have your job. Weatherman. Mailman? I don't know. Off air, I've got some things to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) There are jobs. (laughs) I just, I'm just saying, he should. Any combination, going two out of three or one out of three, OSU, Penn State, and Notre Dame. See you, buddy. Like kick their ass. I don't want to hear all the hype next year where it's oh they're going to do. No, you're not going to do nothing. You're done. Russ, do those those comments have anything to do with a four letter company that you may or may not be? I can neither confirm nor deny any of these allegations. Jay, I probably should have prefaced when I asked that question to you. Watch what you say because we are going to have a similar conversation in a few minutes. So, uh, but you you were you were pretty you were pretty honest, pretty straightforward. Um, Penn State, Michigan, seven thirty game on Saturday. Justin, uh, Penn State's a seventy eight percent favorite. The spread's nine. Uh, over under is forty seven. I, I, there's only one way to ask it: Are you going to give the Wolverines any chance to win this game? Um, no, no, I'm not. Um, okay. you guys have seventeen fumbles on the year. You're averaging one point five fumbles per game. Okay. Uh, Penn State has the third best points per game and the second best points allowed in the Big Ten right now. That defense, though it's a product of its schedule, they're only allowing 8.2 points per game on average. And it's not going to be sustainable when they actually start playing better teams. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of hype on that defensive side of the ball. Iowa wasn't pretty last week, but you guys are going to – you you were able to give up two balls in the second half against Illinois and still be okay. You're not going to be able to do that against Penn State. And if you're going to turn the ball over, that will be the crux of your game. And uh, I don't see them not turning it over. So I'll go with uh, Penn State 27, Michigan 7. 27 to 7. Okay. All right. All right. I think we're the averages, though. There's some logic to it. No, no, there is. Absolutely there is. Uh, I hate you, but, yes, there there is logic to what you just said. Um, That whiteout is going to be blinding. That's fine. We'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Uh, it, it, you see, the, the way you avoid that, Jay, is you don't look in the stands. You look on the field where you're supposed to be. Um, they like, don't looking at the sun. I think I didn't listen to that memo either. No, yeah. Well, there's a reason you wear glasses every once in a while. <laughs> um, Russ, I mean, as U of M fans, we want to be optimistic when it comes to this, but I think we both know optimism might be a little lacking in this one. Uh what what are you what are your thoughts and expectations for this game and who are you picking? Um, I'm gonna laugh for the first five minutes that the whiteout is happening with Michigan playing in their all white uniforms. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'm probably gonna be miserable. Mm-hmm. So, 
it, it's going to come down to turnovers, really. Both teams have exactly one game where they've had a negative turnover differential, uh, although Michigan's turned over the ball a lot more. Um, Michigan lost their negative game. Penn State's was against Purdue, so you can get away with it. You cannot get away with it against a Penn State defense that is, has 27 sacks, second most in the country, and is averaging less than two yards per carry allowed. It's I have no confidence that this offense is going to not turn the ball over, mm-hmm. and I don't think you can go against a quality opponent, turn the ball over regularly, and come away with the win, let alone at the place. I'm being a little generous, 28-20. Um, I want to say maybe they'll cover, but there hasn't been a cover recently. The, the last uh, four times they've played, the home team's won by more than 10 points. So it's it's more likely than not, based on recent history with Harbaugh being there, that the losing team loses big, and it's been the away team. All right, 28-20. Yeah. Um, I, 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 when, I, when I put this together, I saved these notes for last because I just I really kind of wanted to give myself as long as I could to think about it hoping I'd find some optimism and uh, I, I remembered did you? no I didn't uh, I remembered oh. your, your stat about the home team so I really I had to give that you know it's fair thought um, the turnovers are going to be killer uh, I think I, I heard something today that uh, if you add up all the turnovers the, that we've had we literally have given up a game's worth of possessions to the other team in the amount of turnovers. And right. you cannot do, I think it's something we have like something like 14 total fumbles, not didn't lose 14 of them, but we have 14 total tum, total fumbles. So, I mean, that's a possession. That's a game's worth of possessions right there. So if you're going to go into, uh, into the other team's stadium and a top 10 team at that, a team that you have a, not always had an easy time beating, you can't have that. And I am just not confident right now that Shea and this offense is in the right headspace to not turn this ball over. I'm also not confident about the fact that I don't think Gaddis and Harbaugh are going to deviate from what they've been doing for the last like few months. I do honestly believe he's going to think he can go in there and hand the ball off to Charbonnet 25 times, and Charbonnet is going to end out with a or end up with a productive day. I don't think that's going to happen. This is the game where you have to understand that if you get into a bit of a hole. Those wide receivers need to be spread out, and you need to let Shea or whoever you want at quarterback, it sounds like that is Shea, you need to let him start slinging it. You need to start rolling him out, hitting these guys on the sideline, and pick up. you have the speed for a reason. This is the time to use it. Uh, but all that speed is not going to make a difference. I have them losing 20-17. to 17. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of touchdowns in this game. I think you're going to see a lot of attempts at it, but... I'm going with the defense side on this, so I'm going 2017. Here's the loss, and they need to get their heads turned around real quick because Notre Dame's not going to go easy on them, and we got a week to recover from that. So 2017 uh, sounds like it's going to be a rough week for our uh, boys in blue, Russ. Uh, yeah, you know, but at yeah. least Michigan State will have a good week, right? Yeah, Mich- Jay, you can't lose this oh, week. Shut up. You can't lose no. this week. <laughs> all it's right. all a loss. It doesn't matter. Here we go, Jay. Here we go. No, no I know, but here we go. 38 to nothing lost to Wisconsin. Listen, we all went into this one understanding this was not going to be an easy week for you guys. It, it, it was pretty acceptable. Um, before I let you get into it, my, my notes are very quick. 119 passing yards and two interceptions total between two different quarterbacks. Okay? Collins, eight carries for 16 yards. 
This offense, mm. I'm going to say it, Jay, and you can hate me all you want. This offense is broken. It's a broken offense. Listen, you cannot call, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying Michigan State, cannot sit there and preach Collins with eight carries for 16 yards. Why the hell, so why the hell is your running back not getting the ball more than 16 times? I need to know this. I'm sorry, eight times. Your running back got the ball eight times. Okay? This offense, and mainly number 14 for you, Brian Lewerke, is broken. You guys are I, – I, it's, 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 it's hard to watch, honestly. It's hard to watch. I, 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 and It's a team that predicates itself on defense. I get that. And I get that 38 points to Wisconsin could have been a lot worse because Wisconsin is rolling right now. But I honestly have no idea where you guys think you're going to score points because it doesn't seem to be happening against the big teams that you should be in conversation with. So, yeah, no, the only place we're scoring points is our hearts and our dreams. <laughs> it's not happening on the field. It's a rough, rough go. <laughs> like, might be generous. generous. Um, you, you say that we're like, are, we're broken. We're like broken is more attractive than what we are right now. <laughs> it's rough, man. And I, I know that, but at, at the same time, it's like, <clears throat> you're, 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 you're what? Four and three. You know, you know that like, a bowl is probably you're going to go to a bowl of some kind. It's not going to be a great one, but you know the Big Ten's over with, the playoffs over with. This is the time where I, I don't understand, and I guess we'll have to see what it's like in in a, you know two weeks when you guys come back. This is the time where you got to start wondering. D'Antonio needs to give up on Lewerke and start playing the quarterback that's going to be there next year, so that next year. They're not deer in headlights. Next year, they've had a few games of being on a really bad offense so that when you get it all figured out in the offseason and you make all these coaching changes that you obviously need to make, you have a guy that's understanding of everything and has some experience. I know you don't like Lombardi, and I don't know that Lombardi's your guy next year, but if he is, if there's even a hint that he is going to be your guy, he needs to be on the field. Lewerke has proven he's good for throwing the ball 40 times a game. And that's about it. It's it's not going to be anything other than he can throw the ball a lot, but it's not going to lead to a lot of productivity. So, well, go ahead. Yeah, no. Speaking on Lombardi, real quick, he did get on the field and he went five for sixteen with an interception. So, I I want nothing to do with Lombardi at all either. So we don't we don't have our quarterback, and that's like you talked about the three games that we lost, right? Yeah. Let's if we can let me dive into that real quick because that's what I'm focusing on is who are we at our worst? Yeah. And who we are is we have 56 completions out of 106 throws between those three losses, a 53% completion rate, one touchdown, and three interceptions. And when you start looking at the ground game, we're averaging 58 yards total per game on the ground, and we have one rushing touchdown in all of those three losses that we have. So we, we effectively, literally almost, don't have an offense at our worst moment. So I... I don't. I don't know what is happening. It's, I'm. I'm completely dejected and disgusted and embarrassed because there are guys who ball out of their mind on the defensive side of the ball, and I don't know what the hell we're doing on the offensive side. Going to what you're talking about with Mark a little bit. We have five games left. We'll probably end up going three and two, and Mark will finish at seven and five, and he should also finish putting on the Spartan logo at the end of this year. And I'm not just saying that for shock value. It, it's done. Like this is the end. Like. He needs to move on so we can also move on. So 
it, it, it's embarrassing. We have no offense, and I don't. I wish I could tell you, oh, just do this and you're fine. No, we don't. This is sixty salts of uh, uh, sixty seconds of salt part two. I'm just done with Mark. I'm done with with my team right now. It's embarrassing. Yeah, no, it's it's a dumb one. And like I said, though, it leads me into our next topic, uh, and that is we we talked about we talked about Harbaugh and U of M. We now have to talk about D'Antonio. And the fact that this is a four and three team, it, it, you, you honestly you got Penn State, Illinois, come you got to play us, Rutgers, Maryland. That's how you're finishing out your your year. Okay, so you've got a couple winnable games and a couple games that you know I think you can definitely put a question mark to. When I looked at it, I see guarantee I, I see at least two two more losses on your record. So that's mm-hmm. so you're finishing seven and five. I, I don't know what you're going to get. It depends on what you get out of this team and the effort and all that. I, I have it right now as six and six, seven and five is your ceiling. That's your that's your ceiling for this year. So I asked the question about Harbaugh. I'm going to ask the question about D'Antonio. If you finish this year seven and five, can you honestly say there's any justifiable reason that Mark D'Antonio, even though he is your winningest coach, is your head coach next year? Me personally, no. Well, you personally this is not and, what I, and a Michigan State fan base, a Spartan fan base. I mean, if a reasonable Spartan had was asked that question, this is not what we signed up for. Seven and five, maybe playing spoiler to Michigan, and end up six and six. Like, no, I, 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 I would want to see him gone. I almost want like a blood oath between U of M and Michigan State, where both of them just shit camp both their head coaches. So then the media is kind of just. Split, so not all the media is talking about one issue. Just talk about it both, dilute down the issue, and move on to the next coach for both schools. Okay, Russ, same question: seven and five, six and six. Is D'Antonio on that sideline next year? Yeah, I think he is. <laughs> he probably shouldn't be, but yeah, I, I think he is. Winning as head coach, um, what what is this now? Fifteen or thirteen years that he's been with Michigan State does have a winning record he has a lot of 10 win seasons um i guess my my challenge to it is where was this program before him it it doesn't make it the right call to keep him now necessarily but college sports is so much about reputation and perceived value and and when you take a guy that has built up the program he gets a lot more of that reputation and perceived value than he might might actually have in in present day terms so I, I think he's still there. I think it's going to take a like another three and nine season to get him out. Um, even if the best way to the playoff is without him faster. Okay. All right. Um, I, I listen. I I just don't know how much more. I it's a weird question to ask. I don't know how much more he can really do. I mean, Ohio State pretty much has a stranglehold on the Big Ten right now for the foreseeable yeah. future. So Big Ten titles aren't really in the in the conversation. Uh, playoff uh, berths aren't really in the conversation. So unless your goal is to be the second or third best team in the Big Ten every year and play for a major bowl, I don't know what Dan, what else D'Antonio can bring to Michigan State. So I think a 7-5 and five record, it shows two very, very subpar years within three years. And it's the question of how much more of this do we want? Or do we want to really attempt to endure another year of this? Or do we want to bring in that new guy, 
that new fresh blood and see the result from there. Because D'Antonio's a good coach. I can't argue that he's not a good coach. But I just think D'Antonio has reached the ceiling for himself at Michigan State, and I don't know that you want to try to endure another two or three years of this before you part ways with him. You might as well like try to end on as positive a note as you can, and I I, I just I don't know how much more of it it's worth enduring. And that's it's, it's strange yeah, no. to say because we started the year – Literally saying that D'Antonio and Izzo had the keys to the kingdom for as long as we want, as long as they wanted them. So it is tough. It's definitely tough. Well, the one thing that I heard or I read about um, is that he's practically flatlined. We're twenty six and twenty four since New Year's Eve against Alabama. Yeah, like we're not doing anything. <laughs> we're a stalled car in the middle of the road. It's we rough. took the life out of you. Yeah, it's rough. I, ooh, I speaking of Alabama, I do have something on that. Okay. Since 2000, Michigan State's only been shut out three times. Michigan oh, in 2000, Bama, that Bama game, mm-hmm. and then the Wisconsin game. A useless fact attached to that. Uh, three years prior to the Michigan shutout, um, national championship. Three years prior to the Bama shutout, national championship. Wisconsin doesn't keep it going, but they were top ten. So at least it's not like Michigan State's getting shut out to bum teams. Yeah, that's true. That is true. true. Very true. That's interesting. All right. Well, we'll have to see how this week goes for us when it comes to football. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a positive weekend. Uh, Jay, you have a great weekend because you don't have to worry about your Spartans for a week. You can kick back, relax, and enjoy yourself. Uh, I'll try to. You can try. Yeah, I think you'll be all right. I think you can do it. Um, the last thing we're gonna I want to talk about because we started doing it every week, and uh, I want to keep the trend going because. I like it's weird this week because I'm actually going into this week knowing I'm going to lose because I neither of us are going to beat Russ this week and if we do it's a total fluke but uh we got our play of the week and we've got our games of the week and I would be failing miserably as the host of this show if I even remotely remotely attempted to try to set this up so I'm just going to be quiet scoot to the side Russ first Give me your game of the week, as we're still with football, and then because because you didn't decide to go football this week, after you do that, go ahead and set it up for us and give me your play of the week. So game of the week, play of the week, Russ. Okay. Well, game of the week, I uh, went a little off script for this one, but I went with Arizona at the Giants. Kyler okay. versus Daniel Jones. David Johnson versus Barkley, because hey, he's back, and that's, and that's worth watching on its own. But both of them are bottom five or six defenses so there's going to be some points and this is kind of the future of the league you look five years from now the trajectory the up and down this is probably two of the teams that we're expecting to be competing for the playoffs in three or four years here so it's it's maybe a glance at the future at the very worst there's going to be a fair amount of scoring and that's fun to watch at least oh absolutely week that yeah i I can't pick the Chiefs because it's a Thursday night game and not a principal. I can't pick a Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, that, was, that was the best of the rest for me. Okay. Um, the play of the week. Do you remember Milano Cookies? Yeah. Pepper mm-hmm. Farm remembers. Oh, yeah. And, and was that a double chocolate Milano cookie that we had there? No, it was something far sweeter. It was Sonny Milano of the Columbus Blue Jackets undressing the Dallas Stars left and right, gets the puck at the blue line, comes in. Uh, what's that? I got two guys on my ass. I don't care. I'm going to put the puck between my legs, shoot it through one of their sticks, chop cheese, walk off into the sunset, make the game 3-1. It was just a moment of, what in the hell just happened? How did that, what? 
No. I sent you guys to it immediately, and I got resigned. Oh, well, that was a good play because it was phenomenal. It's crazy to have a goal of the year candidate this early, especially when with what uh, Sid and, and uh, McDavid tried to do the same night. But, geez, Sonny Milano made me eat some snack food. Love it. Great play. Go watch it. Do yourself a favor. It was great. No words, just play. Here it is. Left wing. Across the line. Next move by Milano. Walking right in. Scores! What a goal! Alex! And he scores! It's 3-1 Columbus! All right, so that's the winning play of the week. Uh, Jay and I are gonna yeah. we we can we can give our plays of the week too if anybody wants to hear them. If not, just turn the turn. I want to hear. Yeah, if not, just turn the podcast off for the next oh say two minutes and uh, then resume. <laughs> uh, Jay, it's tough to compete with. It really is. So uh, give me the play or give me the game of the week real quick, and then what's your play of the week this week? I I forgot everything I was supposed to say because I'm just envisioning rustling back into bed shirtless smoking a cigar or something just like just completely just spent from watching replays of Sonny Milano and there's Justin's clip of the week (laughs) you you think about me laying shirtless in my bed huh well I mean that's what friends are for right all right so my (laughs) uh, game of the week yep I don't give I don't give two dams about the rest of the league I'm I'm going home baby it's Lions Minnesota all right this this honestly better be an emotional response you listening to bullshit all week long just mm-hmm. be be good and win be be week six miami last year so i'm staying home and hopefully no one gets hurt because there's a 50 percent chance it's one of our guys um right. play of play of the week i again it really doesn't matter but russ i need you to look up how many times tom brady has been fumbled and that fumble results in a defensive touchdown because marcus golden did that to him he almost fell about 40 times just trying to go 40 yards. But the, the dive into the end zone, the fact that happened to Mr. Perfect Ageless Tom Brady, that is probably the only reason why I picked it, but it was a beautiful play as well. Okay. Well, uh, I don't like that you would ever want to do anything bad to Tom Brady, but <laughs> since you did, here is play of the week, Tom Brady, fumble for a defensive touchdown. Second down and 12, Brady with pressure, out comes the football. Recovered by Golden, and Marcus Golden is going to reach for the touchdown. Yeah, that was a terrible play, Jay. I don't know why he would do that. Tom Brady doesn't deserve this kind of abuse. He's an old man. He's washed up. He's washed up. Um, Again, I don't know why I'm doing this because there's no reason to, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, game of the week. Uh, I, I did look at that, uh, Minnesota Detroit one. Cause outside of that, there's not a lot really grabbing my interest until Jalen Ramsey got traded. So I am going to go with the Rams against the Falcons because listen, Jalen Ramsey, you've ran your mouth for a long time. How great of a corner you are. Assuming he plays, which I got to think they're going to do everything they can to get him in for this game. Assuming he plays, you got to go up against one for sure, maybe two, possibly three very, very good receivers this week. If you get torched, you will never hear the end of it. And that's a good defense you're playing with. So I want to see Julio Jones, Jalen Ramsey face-to-face, and I want to see who wins that matchup. My personal opinion, I think it's going to be Julio, but we'll see what happens. So my game of the week is going to be uh, Rams-Falcons, but I'm not going to lie, that Detroit-Minnesota game looks very enticing when you see what else we have this week. So we'll see what happens there. 
As for my play of the week, I went college football uh, because our Detroit Lions decided to take a play out of the Oklahoma playbook from uh, a couple days prior. And so my play of the week is Jalen Hurts, Flea Flicker, to C.D. Lamb, where C.D. Lamb makes about six guys miss to get into the end zone against their rival Texas. And it went a little something like this. And again, Flea Flicker, Hurts, wide open, C.D. in space, C.D. Lamb still running, hits a corner, C.D. for the TD. So that's a decent enough play. It's not going to do anything for you, but if you could, if someone would please vote for it. It would really just raise my self-confidence just a little bit. I got you. I got you, yeah. boo-boo. I'll vote, I'll vote for you. You vote for me, and at least we'll have a little bit of co- confidence uh, going into this crap. I'm going to end up losing this. <laughs> yeah, dude, if you lose this, oh, it's going to be beautiful. Um, all right, so please vote. We'll have the uh, we'll have the Twitter poll up tomorrow, and it uh, should be a good one. Uh, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, the only thing I'm going to left to say, and uh, I expect some grunts and grumbles, uh I think we've finally seen what we should expect out of the Red Wings for the rest of this year, and that's a team that just a little bit of talent there, going to be able to do things now and again, not enough talent to be able to carry us through. Uh, listen, I turned yeah. that game off after Larkin scored that opening goal, and then I went to bed and saw it was 5-1. to one. So it just shows you this is oh, a team so that's fault. got a lot of struggles. What would you say? Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, so it's your fault. It's my fault. My fault. <laughs> my fault. Hey, hey I stayed up to 1230. I stayed up to twelve thirty watching that madness and watched no one try to fight Sarich or whatever his name is for uh, Vancouver. So it was it was not pretty at all. <laughs> Did you see Ernie try to fight Myers? Oh my God, Tyler Myers! Myers is, is six foot tall. eleven thousand. What are you doing? <laughs> hey, the the one the one takeaway I have is yeah. we'll start playing better when we don't have the guys named Abby Nielsen, Helm, Philpilla, DeKaiser. When you're hearing Zadina, Svechnikov, Smith, Valeno. Koski cider that's when it's time that we're, we're really at full throttle so we well, have no doubt it means we finally started trusting that youth so yeah i, I like that i do yeah. like that um that's a great way to end it i'm gonna end it right there jay said it the best we'll see something out of the wings when we start seeing these players that are should be up here playing for us in a couple you know hopefully in a year or two fingers crossed uh my thanks to justin marcus always appreciate taking the time buddy make sure you don't stare at the sun too long tomorrow I won't, but it sounds like good therapy than watching Michigan State, so I appreciate being here to also get away from them. Potato, potato, man. Whatever you got to do to get through the day. <laughs> uh, Ross Ivanak, stat man, I, I threw a bunch of records at you, and you found ways to debunk me. You really are the math wizard. Make me sound a lot smarter than I really am, and that's not that smart. Always appreciate it, buddy. Dude, my, you ran my fingers raw trying to look up all that stuff on the fly. But it, it's a blast. I, I, I enjoy the ad hoc stuff occasionally. Thank you for letting me prep most times. So. Absolutely. <laughs> now, now, but real quick before I end it, be honest. Are they raw from the looking up that stuff or from watching that play over and over again? You can be honest. It can, it can yeah. be both things. It can I be both things. It can be both things. <laughs> Absolutely. And as always, I'm your host, Eric Dorsch. That's one small step for us, one giant leap back in Detroit sports broadcasting. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul.